It's so wonderful to see each and every one of you here this morning. We want to welcome those who are joining us online. And as you came into church today, we gave all of you a quarter. Come on, take out that quarter right now. You see, that's what happens when you come to church. You get a quarter every Sunday for those who are joining us online. I want you to hold on to that quarter today because we've been speaking on this message of bless up. And as I was uh, preparing for this message, I felt the Holy Spirit was leading me in a, not a different direction because my wife always tells me, you know, I grew up in a home where my dad prepared his messages on Sundays, on Saturdays. So we would have, it's always ten, tense in the house. Dad's preparing, dad's preparing. So when I got married, I prepared my messages on Sunday or Saturday nights. Then my wife says, I, I don't like the way the house feels. I said, I'm called of God. I prepare my messages. She says, why Saturday? I said, because that's when the Holy Spirit speaks. She says, can you speak on a Friday? <laughs> I go like, wow, I'm sure. Can you speak on a Thursday? I'm sure he can. Can he speak on a Wednesday? And since that day, I've been preparing messages on Wednesday, and then I incubate on those messages all week till the Sunday. And I want you to know as I'm standing here, I will never take it for granted that I'm standing here articulating the best way I know what God wants to say to your heart. I want you to know I have no desire to speak down because together we are walking as followers of Christ. I'm not standing on a mountain and say, hey, come here. I am going with you. I'm not always gone before you. So sometimes the message is as hard for me to hear as what it is to speak. But today is one of those weird days where I work so hard on this incredible message. But where I feel that God wants me to have a different conversation with you. Now, if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I would be very nervous right now. Right? Because I'm extremely nervous because I'm as responsible for what is going to come out of my mouth than I am if I go on with a prepared message. I realize that as we're sitting in this crowd, that some of you may be a guest. Some of you may be exploring faith. But then there are those of you who have planted yourself at the Father's house. You are, you're pursuing faith. And I want you to know that I sense God wants me to speak to you as a shepherd that he has entrusted a flock with. Now the easiest is when I speak to you as a shepherd with a flock, when it kind of gets challenging that you say, thank God I'm not part of your flock. I ain't no sheep and you're not my shepherd. But I want you to know that within the framework of our, uh, the world, the custom we are in, the culture we are in, 
For the first time, they are writing so many articles that our world has been wired to create doubt. Our world has been wired to create suspicion. Our world has been wired to create a false uh, uh, narrative so that you don't really know who to trust. I have one agenda here today. And my agenda is for you to take a next step in following Jesus, not just in believing in Jesus. Because you see, there is a big difference between nodding your head in agreement and actually getting it done. Now, if you've raised kids, you know, you walk in your kid's room, you go like, I'm telling you right now, I want you to clean this room. I'm going to come back in an hour, and this room's going to be perfectly clean. Because this is how you show that you really appreciate your toys. Do you get me? What does the kids do? <laughs> now, if you take a nod as a confirmation of an action, clearly you've not parent. Come on now. Because how many of you go back in the room and all they've done is put everything under the bed? Because you see, their nod was an agreement with a principle, but their heart was not committed to the action in that principle. And I think the biggest challenge that we are sitting with as a church family, as followers of Christ, is that we love to nod in agreement, but we fail to understand that nodding doesn't transform you. It is the entrance to a journey of faith to be fully matured in Christ. In other words, if we say, if we say, all you need to do is pray the sinner's prayer. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're the son of God. That you would come again and that you take away my sin. Amen. If that's all we think it takes, I'm here to tell you what Paul's going to say. That you will never experience the transformation of your life to become all God has for you. Because I want you to know that for many of us, as we are sitting and hearing message after message after message, we are trying to find a few phrases in that message that we go like, oh, that was good, that was good. By the time you get to your car, you can't remember any of the three phrases. As a matter of fact, if my wife had to ask me, what did you preach on when I get home? I go like, dang, uh, what did I preach on? Because you see, it is not about the message, it's about the application of becoming. That's why Paul says, I'm travailing again for Christ to be formed in you. He says, because by now you should be maturing in your faith, yet you act like little children that still needs milk. Now for those of you who are raising young adults, and I'm not speaking about mine, so I'm just going to speak in general. The longer you raise them, the harder it gets. If you agree with that, say yes. 
That's all the parents going like very carefully, yes. Because you see, it's so easy when the kids are small and you can tuck them in and you say, listen, if you don't clean your room, you'll never have Chunky Monkey ever again in your entire life. And you know what they do? They go like, I swear as anything, just don't take Chunky Monkey away. I'll clean my room, I clean my room. Say that to a 25-year-old. What are they going to tell you? Take your chunky monkey and monkey the chunky. I'll get my own chunky monkey. It is so interesting, and yet, as a parent, you get to a point where you wonder when are you going to arrive in the kitchen after a night where everybody just ate, and you walk in, and there is a clean kitchen with a note that says, you taught us well, you served us, it is time for us to serve you. How many think that would be a miracle right there? In that moment when you get that, you know maturity has set in. But dear God in heaven, I don't know about you, but sometimes you go like, when is it going to stick? Because you see, that's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because if we don't imitate actions that are substantial and all we do is not or disagree, we will never find our place of maturity where your life will begin to reflect the faith that God promised for you to believe in. Amen would be good. So yesterday, I'm trying to work out where I went. Man, my brain is just so foggy. When, But anyway, Home, De home Depot. <laughs> my darling, I was at Home Depot. I'm redoing my wood floors in the house. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. And um, there was a, a black dude standing there, and he's an Adonis. He's so big. He's so chiseled. I should have explained myself, but I went to go stood right next to him. <laughs> right, and, and I touched his shoulder. <laughs> I did. I'm not making this up. If Jesus comes right now, I go straight to hell if I lie. I would not do that. I touched his biceps. He looked at me and said something about y'all something. I couldn't understand one word he is saying. I looked at him, and this is the only thing I could utter. If there is a thing like reincarnation, which there's not, I can prove it in the Bible. I said, when I come back, I want to come back like you. <laughs> you don't have to talk a lot. You just flex, and the world comes to an end. I stood like this, and I said, do you think that's possible? He said to me, do you work out? I said, do you, does it look like I'm working out? <laughs> really? I'm giving you a compliment. You're insulting me. What do you think? <laughs> you see, the difference between him and me was not our height but our commitment to a dream of ourselves in the future. Can I tell you something about your life right now? If you say, my life is miserable, 
It is not a curse. It is the decisions of the last five years that has made you where you are today. I can't take this jacket off because winter fat's already sitting on me. <laughs> this didn't happen overnight. Because you see, I, I've got this app that I track all what I eat, and I can only have a 1,600, is it calories? Oh, okay. And then I go, McDonald's burger, 650. I'm going to give you one. Oreo McFlurry, 650. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fries, 600. If I go like, well, it's not fair. I'll eat whatever I want. You can eat whatever you want. But he will pay the consequences of ignoring what needs to be done in practice to become what you have as a dream. What if I tell you that God has a dream? God's dream for you, see, the shrunk too. God's dream. What we think is God's dream in the Western world is that we attend church every Sunday. I've been a pastor long enough. As long as we're in church, and especially if you're in a church that preaches hell every Sunday, then you're in church because you're scared. You're in a church that says, if you were to die right now and you open your eyes, where will it be in hell and heaven? When you get to heaven, they're going to ask you, why should I let you in? That's what I heard my whole life. And they go like, just give me the passport. Like, open sesame, what must I say? Just tell me what it is. Because then I've got to play nice in order just not to burn in hell. What if I tell you that Jesus didn't come to change just where you spend eternity. He wants to change how you live life now. But you see... There is another microphone that is echoing in our ears that are telling us the way to live this life well is to buy cheap bitcoins, make a lot of money, wear Gucci, fake something, take pictures, and convince the world that you are the king of the world. And God looks at that and says, what benefits did a man if he gains the whole world, but loses his soul. And I don't think losing his soul is going to hell. I'm saying living the lesser life. Because God said this to Abraham. Hold on to the 25 cents, okay? I actually know where I'm going, almost. Check this out. God said to Abraham, Genesis 22, 18. Let me first say this. He said, through your descendants. You say, who's his descendants? The Bible says now, each and every one of us has become the children of Abraham by faith. So if I say, who's your daddy's 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 daddy? You should say, Abraham. Remember the youth camps, Father Abraham, many sons. Swing your arm, swing your arm, Father Abraham. I mean, right? This is true, Father Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise 
That's the promise not only to you, but to all your children's 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 children. Because I'm inviting you through covenant to a better life. He says, all the nations on the earth will be blessed because you obey me. He says, through you. Come on, say through me. Come on, shout through me. Come on, shout through me. In other words, God is saying, don't you understand, through you, I want to show the world my hands, my heart. I want to show the world a life that is transformed. You see that big dude that I met? You know what attracted me to him? It's because I really think I want to be like him. If he stood there with one big pot belly, plumber's butt, hanging out, I would not go over and go like, how did you get that plumber's butt? That's pretty gnarly. If there was not something attractive about his physique that I said, I wish I could look that way, then why would I even want to compare or desire? Here's my question. Where can you find a community of Christ followers when you're among them? Their lives inspire you. Their worship inspire you. Their love inspire you. Their unity inspire you. But you know what we find? My grandfather had a farm in the Drakensberg, and I remember as a kid, they had a, a pump. And in the mornings, oh, I love that place because it was so rural uh, there's this pump that you go out and it's so freezing cold and you've got a pump for water for the house and you'd stand there and pump, pump, pump and I go to my dad, this, this thing sucks, it's broken, it's broken because I'm pumping and nothing's coming out. He says, keep pumping, it's building pressure. I go like, oh dear God. Oh, you pump and pump and pump and it's hard work. And then uh, it starts with a drop and a little bigger, more drops, more drops. All of a sudden, now it begins to spit water and all of a sudden begins to flow water. And you pump and you pump and you pump. Why is it that when we worship, somebody's got to pump you? Why? Why have we created cultures that's got to use music and lights and haze and all these things that's beautiful to create such an emotional moment and that's just the pumping to release your heart to give God what He's worthy of anyway? At which point do you realize that God doesn't want He's not counting hands in heaven and go like, look, son, look at the Father's house. This Sunday we've got 72 hands raised in worship. Isn't that what you died for? No, it's not what he died for. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you because he knows that when you put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, joy comes. There's something that happens. Paul and Silas in the prison, they were beaten up in the stocks. They were sitting there. Listen, there was not a single moment when they were beaten up in the dungeon. They smell urine and feces. All they did was preach the gospel and heal the sick. And here they are. And at 12 o'clock, they didn't say, hey, I feel like singing some happy songs. But at 12 o'clock, they knew if we want God to set us free, he lives within the praises of his people. But yeah, here's the question I want. Why is it then 
that we come and go like, well, I just don't feel like it. They've sung that four times. Can I tell you what it is? It's the fact that you have not taken the first step in maturity and say, hey, it's got nothing to do with what I feel like. I bring a sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. I will declare God's goodness because when I begin to praise Him, things transform in my life. I don't feel like it, but feeling has got nothing to do with it. It is the responsible thing to do because of what God has done for me. And I know when I praise that everybody around me is going to feel the very breath of heaven. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this so that people can come into a community where God is fully alive, that we don't just nod our heads. We don't wait for feeling moments. Listen, if I had to wait for the feeling to take the trash out every week, we would be on the episode called Hoarders in Rochester, New York. You know, I take it out because that's what an adult do. You know why we worship with all of our hearts? Because we are transformed in it. We are transformed in it. Church, can I tell you something? What does your faith cost you in risk? What does your faith cost you in risk? I want you to just listen to me. What does your faith cost you in risk? There is a story of a, a man that um, was walking across a great divide, very dangerous, tight rope, and he's walking from one side to the other side, and there's people, and it's so dangerous, and he got to the other side. He says, do you, do you believe that I, the great Max, can walk on the rope through danger? And everybody goes like, oh, none like you, Max, none like you. He takes a wheelbarrow, and he does the same trip, and all the oohs and the ahs. He comes to the other side, he says, do you believe I, the great Max, can walk on a tightrope with a wheelbarrow? Do you believe? Everybody goes like, yeah. He says, do you believe? Oh, I believe. Get in the wheelbarrow. I've got a question. Has, when last have your faith put you in a wheelbarrow? When last? When lost, because you see, it is in the practicing of your faith that transformation and miracles come alive. It is not in belief, because the Bible says even demons believe and they tremble. And I want to say this as a shepherd to us. There is a point where you begin to say, either I believe the words of Jesus or I don't. Either I believe that he has got a greater life for me on this earth. Either I get up every morning and chase the emptiness of riches and act like the rest of the world. Or I get up and say, I'm not even running that kind of race. God, I'm getting up in my hands are for service. And as I serve others, it's worship to you. I'm looking for divine opportunities, God. If you need anybody to find whatever you want to touch, Lord, lead me there. The steps of the righteous are ordered of God. God, give me a responsiveness in my spirit. Let me not always look at what you say and go find voices of cynicism to come up with a cheap excuse so that I don't have to practice my faith. Because at the end of the day, I want you to know transformation happens when Jesus said, 
follow me. Jesus didn't say, do you believe in me? He says, follow me. Do you know, there was a rich man that wanted to follow Jesus. And when Jesus says, give everything you have to the poor and follow me, he turned away and he, he couldn't do it. If he did, I can promise you there would have been a whole book in the Bible dedicated to him and his story would not have been worse than what he thought. He thought that he's now going to become poor and a beggar. And Listen, have you got any idea what God will do with your life? Because God wants to bless your life in order to be a blessing. It is in your DNA. It is in your DNA. That is why I'm so afraid when we say, may his favor be upon you for a thousand generations. And we think if we sing it, we're going to get it. I'm here to tell you that until you walk in obedience to your faith, there is no favor that's going to come upon your life because he said to Abraham, to Abraham I will bless you and your descendants because you obeyed me. He said, Pastor P, you make me nervous. And the friend that I brought with to come check out church is probably going, thank God I'm not a Christian. This sounds like serious stuff. Yeah, it is serious stuff. Because I think the passivity that comes over us is dangerous. Because it's just like me putting a poster of the Home Depot dude on my wall. And every morning I go like, soon I'm going to be just like you, eating my McFlurry. <laughs> and say, I have faith like a mountain. Listen, you can have faith like the world, but if you don't put the McFlurry down, that ain't going to happen. Say, Pastor P, where are we going with this? I want you to take out the 25 cents. Oh, the keyboard guys can come. Oh, I've got nine minutes. Don't come. <laughs> See this 25 cents? I gave it to you. It's not yours. I called the office and said, I'm going to give $400, make it 25 cents, and give everybody 25 cents. This is yours while it's in your hand, but it's mine as the owner. Jesus says this, when the master goes away, he will put his servants in charge of his resources. And then he's going to come back and say, what did you do with what I gave you? I want to say this to you, that God wants to bless your life so that you can be in the blessing and to be a blessing to others. You go like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. But I don't have enough to be a blessing. So Elijah was in a time of drought. And God says, I want you to go to the city. That's seraphim. 
I have prepared a widow for you there. She will take care of you throughout your whole stay. Okay, just play for one second. You and I are Elijah. Now we go to Seraphim, we stand at the gates. What kind of widow will you be looking for? You know which I would look for? The one on a chariot with a big hat, with a silk, and with rings. Do you know what waited there? A poor widow picking up sticks. And God says, there she is. And because Elijah was a man, you know what I would say to God? Really? <laughs> really? He says, God said, you are the widow that's got to make me bread. She says, sir, I'm picking up sticks. I have enough for one more meal. Then my son and I are going to lie down and wait to die. You know what he said? Go make me first. Say God first. She had a choice. God first or eat and die. He says, if you put God first, the oil will not stop and the meal will not stop until this drought's over. That's a promise. She could have shook her head and say, okay, okay. What I would have done, cook the bread, cough on it, and eat it. Just quick. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to test this. But you see, she took the leap of faith. She says, I believe the word of God, and God is not a man that he would lie. Re remember the boy with the five loaves? And the two fish? Is it five loaves, two fish? I'm just going to make it five and two. <laughs> right? There's thousands of people that are hungry. And the disciple says to Jesus, ooh, these people are hungry. We're going to have a ride. Jesus says, you feed them. They found a the little boy, five loaves and two fish. Thank God it was a little boy because kids have faith. If it was any of us, I would have swallowed those fish like a pelican. <laughs> Me like, what fish? What's fish? Right? Because it makes no sense. But when you put what you have a need and make God first, he will multiply supernaturally. And when I say supernaturally, it's not so that you can buy your Cadillac and you live in your big house because God's blessing is not for status, it's for ongoing service. When God blesses your life, he wants you to be a blessing to other people because he multiplied again and again. Remember Elijah on the mountain. I love Elijah because there was a drought and there were Baal prophets. There's no water and they make two altars. He says, let the God that is God answer with fire. And they prayed and nothing happened. And then comes Elijah and God says to him, dig a trench around this. They dug a trench. And he says, bring all the water that you have. Come on, God. They poured all the water on the altar. Listen, this is the thing they need the most. God says, me first. And when the fire came, it licked up all the water. I would have gone like, that's not how they're supposed to go down. But you see, they took the step in believing. 
And when you take the step in believing, God says, with your faith and trust, I can do something. See, if I will not open the heavens over you and pour out a blessing so unbelievable because the Bible says the rain came down and the drought was killed. You know why? Because they obeyed God. So what am I saying? I'm saying, you say, I don't have enough. I'm saying, yes, there is always just enough to put God first and invite him into the mess of your finance, invite him into your need, inviting him because it is not about the money. It's practicing your faith and your generosity because we cannot live forgettable lives. Who is going to go? Who is going to be the heart and the hands and the feet? Who is going to be the one that God can send to represent his goodness on this earth? But it takes faith. So let me close this. Turn to your neighbor and say, this must be hitting you hard, you are Sweating, and you are quiet. You know what? It's not a hard thing. God's not asking for your firstborn. God's inviting you into a miraculous life. Church, I'm so worried that sometimes I'm misunderstood. I haven't spoken like this for so long. Because I'm a father. I've had the privilege to stand here in almost 24 years. I've seen faces come and faces go, but one thing remains. I'm here as a father and I'm, I stand before God Almighty. And I know it's not, giving is not the outcome, it's who we become as generous people. Even when you go to a restaurant, you don't walk out without gratuity. If you do, what is wrong with you? How can you do that? The person serving you is their livelihood. We want to be the kind of people that when you show up, they're so excited because they know that the way you say thank you is over and above more than anything else. Because that's how God is with you. It's how God is with me. The generous will never run out. Your world gets larger and larger and larger. But when you are your source, then I guess that's where you're stuck. God says the practice of giving to him is a weekly practice. He says on the first day of the week, make up in your mind what you're gonna give to God with no compulsion, no pressure, no, no nothing. You do it because you are practicing your faith and he says, be as generous as you can be. Listen, if what you give doesn't make you a little uncomfortable, there's no faith here. And God, Honest faith every single time. He says, when you do, something's going to happen on the inside of you. You are literally destroying the power of greed that is permeating the world. 
He will begin to anchor your heart to His kingdom. He will reflect the God that you serve. You know, God's desire, God's desire for you is to pour out a blessing on your life. He says, I will bless you and keep you. He says, the, the, the grapes will stay on the vineyard. I will protect your life against calamity and pests. I will be your before you, behind you, around you, under you. I will protect you. He says, because you've honored me. You say, what does that honor mean? Because you've obeyed me. What does that obeying means? He says to Israel, but I can't do that while you're cheating me. He says to Israel, context, Old Testament. Look at what your houses looks like. Look what my house looks like. Look what you spend on your pleasure. And look what you give in return to my goodness. Then he says this, test me. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, test me. Say, test me. Do you understand? It's the only place in the Bible that God says, test me. The only place, the only place, you know, because God knows money has Velcro to it. It's stuck to us. Every time we want to give it, it speaks back to us and go like, don't let me go, don't let me go. I don't have many cousins. Leash you with me, don't let me go. But church, it is in our stepping out in obedience and practicing our faith. It's in coming to your church family and when it's time to worship, nobody needs to push the pump. Because you know you're in an encounter with Jesus. It's weekly coming in. And I want to encourage you to fill this out. This is more for you than it is for us. To say, Pastor Pierre, this is not just about giving. This is about my commitment to practicing the act of generosity and giving to God first. He says, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven on you. Because you see, church, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to give. You say, see, there you go. No, no, I've already provided what you need to give. You're going to give me back my quarters. And you know what the worst thing is? I can guarantee you. Some of you are going to walk out with my quarter. And you go like, nobody's going to know. Look at all the people. Why would you steal what is not yours? Well, you gave it to me. No, no. Oh, please hear me. 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 You're not a thief. You're a baby in your faith because everything is mine, mine when you're a baby. You're not a terrible human. It just shows you where you are in your faith. And God says, I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to grow because if you don't find a way to cause your kids' hands to open and serve others, you are creating a heck of a problem for someone else.
And yet we have a choice. I have a choice, you have a choice. My sweet wife and I were raised and we deeply believe every week we give 10% of our income. You don't have to. 10% and we will always respond to generosity and it happens all the time. And when she says, you know, at this God moment, I never say, why the heck did you do that? Have you lost your mind? Because I've never seen God take from us. I've seen God replenish to us. Last question. If you give love to someone who needs love, oh, you hug them and you give them all the love in your heart. When you're done loving, do you walk away and go like, oh God, I'm so depleted. I've no more love left. Come on. Do you, do you sit in front of the TV and go like, she took all my love. How long am I going to wait for more love? Or does giving love replenish love? Come on, somebody. Does giving love replenish love? Giving of what is God's to God first replenishes everything you need for life and godliness. And it's practicing your faith. Let's close our eyes, shall we? And I pray, pray that you remain seated just for three more minutes. Father in heaven, I know today you're not speaking about money, but you are speaking about your desire for us to grow up in our faith. And that there's no maturing in faith without taking the risk of trusting that what you promise is true. God, you see things from a different perspective. God, you, you see our lives as being impactful. Resilient, always ready to respond to the world around us. For you promise that you've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed beg for bread. God, there are some people here that are sitting with just enough oil for one more meal. And you would say, go borrow as many oil cans as you can because if you give to me, I will replenish. And then when you do, don't hoard it. Make a feast, make a party, give it to the poor, give it to others so that you will be a channel of blessing and not just a hoarder. God, as people are sitting here, only you can compel hearts forward. So in this moment of decision making, open our hands, open our hearts, for we are ready to not only believe, but God, we are determined to follow Jesus and His ways. I would love for you to just sit there and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do right now? Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond?
Father, as we are about to give, I pray that every heart will be true to the resonance of what you are whispering to them. Even if it's scary, God, we can never outgive you. But it's not just about giving. God, awaken us to be formed in maturity in the image of your Son, Jesus. Let us not wait and nod. But God, we want to run after you. This is my prayer right now. Amen. I'm going to ask that you remain seated on the left-hand side of every row. There's a bucket. I want to encourage you to put that 25 cents in there or keep it. It will be a testimony to see what happens. If you've got a pledge card and you want to put it in there or your regular offering, there are multiple ways that you can give electronically. And I want you to please don't leave. Listen to this two-minute story. And I know it will bless your heart. We're the Johnsons. I'm Aaron. I'm Kelly. We've been married for 11 years and uh, going to the father's house for, for 10 years now. In the first couple years of our marriage, we weren't as good at communication as, as we probably needed to be. And, you know, finances were wrapped up in that. And then when we, we finally came to our senses, uh, we're now in a place where we have this debt, but we want to continue giving. It becomes real when, it, when it's your money and it's not yeah. your parents giving you some change to throw in the yeah. children's yeah. church. It came to giving time in service, and I thought, you know what, we can hold off. Rent is due on Tuesday. And I specifically remember Aaron saying, no, this is the principle that we stick by. You know, God's faithfulness just continued, you know, through that season of, of sticking to what we know. I say this um, to Aaron is, what, what story do we want to tell our children when we have to retell this story? Fast forward to 2020, COVID is, is shutting things down. Uh, people are getting laid off and Kelly's in that group of people getting laid off. But we've already seen God be faithful in the past. And so it wasn't even a question. And we were able to continue giving what we had before you know it, by the end of the year, Kelly had 50% more than what she was making at the last job. And it's just like, whoa, like out of nowhere. We never skipped a beat with giving, even though my income was drastically different. But I also witnessed, looking back, we say, we never missed one payment of anything, never lacked anything. I learned something about myself is, I don't have that, um, that prideful mentality where, well, I won't do that because of X, Y, and Z, or having shame. I'll do anything to make sure we can continue to be in a place where we can be generous, where we can live comfortably. I think life is meant to be enjoyed start working that trust muscle because yeah. so much of the Christian walk is based on your trust. The Lord came through, you know, really came through for us. You learn how to build your character in those moments, um, you know, of adversity.